What was Chris Armas, the manager of New York Red Bulls, thinking? I am Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710, as we are each and every week the home of world football here in Southern California. we got a massive show for you. We jump right into the MLS playoffs. Conference finals, leg one. They were played on Sunday. What was Chris Armas, the manager of the Red Bulls, doing? It, he, he got bit by American coach-itis. The bug that just destroys so many American soccer teams because of so many American coaches fall for it and they get bit by the bug and they catch the disease that is playing way too conservatively. What was he thinking going to Atlanta hoping for 1-0 or 0-0? That's ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. As New York Red Bulls, the best team record-wise in MLS go up against the second best team in MLS, the top two teams in the East. Both of them are equally good. I mean, Red Bulls had Atlanta's number in the regular season. It doesn't matter. They're both equally capable. And the Red Bulls go down there and get one shot on goal in 90 minutes. One. You cannot hold down Atlanta at home for 90 minutes, thinking you're going to go down there in the playoffs and get a nil-nil or hope to squeak out a one-nil or even a one-one. No! And Atlanta United just ground down the Red Bulls, who ceded too much possession early especially, and really came out just wanting to defend. When will these American coaches learn? And Chris Armas had done a fine job for the Red Bulls up until then. Remember, he he took over for Jesse Marsh, who left for RB Leipzig. When will these coaches learn? Go attack on the road. Yes, it's important to get a road goal, no doubt. But it's it's just as important to set the tone in the two-leg series. When you know you have that home game secondly, go attack on the road. And you know what? If you get beat, you get beat. Go play on the road. You have the home game in your back pocket for the leg two. And instead, Red Bulls were way too cautious, way too long leaving Bradley Wright Phillips stranded up front. He had two shots total. Now, remember, he scored a goal, but Alex Muiel, I don't know what he was thinking, was in an offside position, and VAR did overturn it. I hate VAR, but they got it right in this instance. But what are you doing playing that style against Atlanta? You know Atlanta's just going to pile forward. Now, you could argue that, oh, they want to play a counterattacking stuff. They didn't even get into the game that way. It was all just defense. And hope Luis Robles can do what he's been doing all season, which is standing on his head, making save after save. And it didn't happen. Joseph Martinez broke through. Then Franco Escobar in the 71st. And then the absolute backbreaker in the 95th minute. Hector Viaba, Tito Viaba had just too much time and space off the assist from Escobar. But it was really just about Viaba from 25 yards, just wide open. And admittedly, he did, oh boy, was that a nice shot. If you haven't seen it, the goals for Atlanta United, if you haven't seen them, are magnificent. Which is another reason, if you're Red Bulls, you know that, yes, you had the best record. And you know you handled Atlanta in the regular season. You know what? how New York, to me, the difference was, they didn't play scared against Atlanta in the regular season. I know, a lot less on the line, people freeze up. What was Armas thinking? Too many American coaches go out and try to play defensively. And when you have the home leg, the second leg in your back pocket, go play. On the the road leg, go out. And if you get beat 3-1, 4-1, so what? You don't deserve it anyway. Go play. Because if you can get a 2-2 
or heaven forbid, even a victory on the road, and then you're set up so nicely. And the Red Bulls never had a chance in that two le- in that uh, tie, rather the first game. Now they are they out of it? No. I mean, it's three nil Atlanta, and they're in deep, deep dark trouble. Right? The, the the darkness is closing in on the Red Bull season, no doubt. They're in trouble, but they're not out of it. In the West, Sporting Kansas City and Portland battled to nil nil in Portland. Now Portland will say that's a great result. Sporting Kansas City didn't get a draw, or I'm sorry, didn't get a goal. Okay, because the way goals do count, remember. But it's still up to Sporting Kansas City to go home and just win. Right? They didn't get uh, overwhelmed by Portland. I don't think Sporting Kansas City played particularly well. And certainly the Timbers had some a few chances. But Sporting Kansas City, shame on you if you can't beat Portland at home. Now, remember, the Timbers are a fifth seed. But things that people don't remember about a long MLS season is the Timbers started horrifically under Gio Savarese this year. They were 0-3-2 in their first five. They finished very strong. If I'm not mistaken, they were something like 15-7-7 if the numbers add up. Yeah, if the math adds up, that's right, to finish the season. That's very good. So after a dismal start, Portland was one of the best teams in the league. So this is no walkover for Sporting Kansas City, despite the Timbers being a fifth seed. And yet, if you're a number one seed and you have that home field in the second game and it's nil-nil, just go win. If you can't beat Portland in the second leg on Sunday or I'm sorry, on Thursday night, you don't deserve to go to MLS Cup. Now, we know MLS Cup's going to be on the Eastern Conference home field, right? Either Atlanta or New York Red Bulls. It looks like it might be in Atlanta. Oh, would that be magnificent with the crowds they get? But we know it's going to be on the Eastern side. However, if you're sporting Kansas City, this is what you played for, that one home game at home to get you a trip to the final, the final match, right? You, 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 All you have to do is win one game at home, and you're going on to MLS Cup. Shame on Sporting Kansas City and Peter Vermees if he can't pull that off. Can either team? Yes, of course. Both teams are very good. It's a one-game thing now for both teams. Remember, Portland just needs a draw with goals scored, and they're going through. So if they can pull out a 2-2 or a 1-1, Timbers are going to the finals. And it's just madness to, to see teams who don't come out and play on the road in that first leg. When you have that home game in your back pocket, go get it. And to a lesser extent, Peter Vermees did that with Sporting Kansas City, although that's kind of the style they play. So in fairness, I don't think Vermees was really like, oh, we got to just pack away. I mean, I think Chris Armist really did his team a disservice the way they went out and didn't attack in that game. They just played scared, it seemed. If you disagree, hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. Feel free to hit me, at Talk Soccer. If you're a Red Bull fan or you just happen to love MLS and you disagree with how they play, I just thought Chris Armas got bit by the American soccer coach bug. Scared. We've seen it at our national team too often. We see it in MLS sometimes. Teams play scared in that first leg. And now look. So all that effort to try to play defensively and make sure you don't open up and Atlanta United beat you 3-0. Hear me now. Sometimes the best defense in MLS is to put your scoring boots on and go get two or three goals. Most times, quite frankly, in the way the league is structured. With all the money being spent on offense, you pretty much got to go outscore people. Right? I liken it a lot to Major League Baseball playoffs. Everybody talks about, oh, you got to have pitching. That's a lie. 
you need pitching in baseball for the regular season. The playoffs are all about scoring in Major League Baseball, and they are in MLS. Go get it. Everybody has good defense. You don't get here without it, but you got to put the ball in the back of the net. Just like everybody in baseball goes to the playoffs with good pitching, you can't get there without it during a long regular season. You'll get exposed. But in the playoffs, it's all about hitting. has very little to do with pitching. And in MLS playoffs, put the ball in the back of the net and take your chances. And you know what? If you're over two legs, you lose 5-4, then shake their hands and go home. But don't go out with a whimper. Don't go out with barely giving yourself a chance. The return legs coming up Thursday are going to be interesting, though, especially that Western Conference one. Atlanta United, shame on them if they can't get this done with a 3-0 lead. One guy that I want to point out, though, who ticks me off time and time again is the Portland Timbers, Sebastian Blanco. And he's a good player. But, oh, is it easy to root against him in Portland because of it. Oh, it's so easy. Did you see the dive he takes? He's battling with Graham Zussi during the game on that uh, left wing for Portland, the right right you know wing back for Sporting Kansas City, U.S. International. We all know Graham Zussi. And Zussi kind of flails against him and catches him in the face. It was nothing. And Blanco went down like he had just been shot in the face, rolling around, screaming in agony, blah, blah, blah. It's just, come on. He makes the game get stopped. It's so ridiculous. It was absurd. And it's just so easy to root against guys like that. Now, he's not the only one to do it, but I've seen Blanco do this time and time again. And I'm getting tired of it. Now, again, Portland Timbers generally are eminently hateable, right? For, in the world of sports hate, Portland Timbers are right up there with the Yankees. You know, the, 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 all the teams that you would put on a list of the, the Cowboys. The sports hate... Pittsburgh Steelers, it's easy to sports hate Portland Timbers and MLS, right? They think they invented soccer, they're all this, ooh, we're too cool for school. Well, look, they're a great franchise, great organization, but Sebastian Blanco kind of just reminds you how easy it is. Hey, still to come, Copa Libertadores is in mayhem, and we've got black and gold breakdown with some roster moves. All of that and so much more as the hour continues it's Soccer Weekly. I'm Dave Dunholm on ESPNLA 710. Oh, and a beautiful week of soccer, and we're just talking about it right here on Soccer Weekly as we do each and every week on ESPNLA 710. I am Dave Dunholm. If you disagree with what I had to say about the conference finals leg one, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. We always continue the conversation throughout the week there. Follow me there, at Talk Soccer. It's pretty easy. I love talking the beautiful game with you. Also, if you miss any of the show each and every week, you can podcast it. Go to uh, iTunes, go to the ESPN Pod Center, search for Soccer Weekly, subscribe, rate, and review there. Give me a review. I can take it. If you love the show, that's great. If you hate it, just tell all your enemies to listen and just tick them off. Right? Wouldn't that be good? Soccer Weekly is presented, as you heard, by Puente Hills Toyota. Get your new 2018 Toyota Camry SE today at Puente Hills Toyota. Check them out. PuenteHillsToyota.com. Copa Libertadores final was a dream setup. If you're a world football fan, right? The biggest competition in South America. It's essentially the Champions League. If you're wondering, if you follow European soccer, it's the Champions League for South America. It is massive. And there was no better matchup that you could have in world football. It is the single greatest rivalry. And those two teams made the finals. Not only from the same country, they're from the same city. River Plate and Boca Juniors. 
the biggest rivalry in all of world football. You can have your Manchester Derby. You can have your London Derbies. You can uh, have your uh, Barcelona-Real Madrid. You can shove those. This is the biggest rivalry in world football, and it was set up for the Copa Libertadores finale. They got there. They both got there. Boca and River Plate. The first leg was mayhem at Boca. 2-2. Setting up what would be maybe, and I'm going to say it right now on this show, I believe it to be, that game was scheduled for Sunday. It was, or whatever, the week, it was scheduled for this weekend on Sunday. To me, that's the biggest club football game ever. Boca, River, 2-2 after the first leg. One game at River Plate to determine Copa Libertadores, the biggest South American competition for clubs. The biggest club match ever. Bigger than any Champions League final. Just because of the ramifications of that rivalry, right? In soccer-mad Argentina, which translates all over the world. And what happens? Pandemonium and mayhem before the game. River Plate's fans attacking the bus of Boca Juniors. On the way into the stadium, craziness ensues. They cancel the game, postpone it. And now, I'm reading on ESPN FC. Go to ESPNFC.com. It's great stuff. Now they're going to move it. The final has been moved, according to this article on ESPN FC. It looks like the second leg is going to be played either December 8th or 9th. Conmebol executive said, according to this article, again. And now it looks like they're going to play it in a neutral stadium outside of Argentina. Can you believe that? Normally, you know me, when when Barcelona, or I'm sorry, when the La Liga was talking about playing a league match in the United States in the future, I said no, and I, I, I hate that. But in this instance, this is about all you can do. If indeed this game happens, now there, there is some possibility, I guess, there, anything's on the table, there's possibility that Conmebol might just award the Copa Libertadores to Boca Juniors because of River Plate causing all these problems, allegedly. So, who knows? I mean, maybe they play this game, maybe they don't. But if they don't play it in Argentina, you might even see it here in the United States. And wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, what a crazy story, of course. But the blood boiling over between these fans. Just absolute mayhem. It is the single greatest rivalry, really, in all of team sport, in my estimation. Now, you can, again, you can have your Cowboys-Giants or Cowboys-Washington. Don't give me that stuff. Don't give me any NFL, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Jets versus whoever. There's, there's Nothing compares. Don't give me the NBA. There's nothing in the NBA. Lakers-Celtics doesn't even hold a candle to this. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry because you know what I'm talking about. If you follow world football, and if you don't, you should when it comes to Boca and River Plate. And it was all set up. And then the fans just had to go and do that. Just a shame. So that game may end up not being played. Might end up in the United States. We'll have to wait and see. But at last check, I heard... The, the game was Saturday, was postponed. They're gonna. It looks like either December eighth or 9th. So we shall see. That's going to be a story that continues to break. It's the biggest story, certainly in South America and really in world football right now. So I had to definitely get a little word out to it. Now here we go. It is time for what we love to call black and gold breakdown. <laughs> 
Black and Gold Breakdown here on the home of LAFC, ESPN LA 710. And really, it's interesting news because it's interesting news for all MLS teams. Right? They had a deadline in which they had to declare if they wanted to pick up contract options. There's plenty of options in MLS contracts, much like every other sport. And it was deadline time. So LAFC did make some moves in that sense. And here's what they uh, uh, basically told me, right? The, there are four players who had their options picked up, and they're going to be here for the black and gold in 2019. Those four are Mark Anthony Kay, Lee Wynn, Josh Perez, and Shaft Brewer Jr. So a lot of youth there, and then there's Lee Wynn, the experienced veteran who had a very fine season after coming over from New England. Mark Anthony Kay, of course, his season was stopped with the injury and the surgery, and he looks good. He looks like he's going to be back at 100% and then some. Josh Perez has a lot of talent, didn't get a lot of look, but a youngster who was in the U.S. youth setup for a long time, went over to Italy, just kind of languished there for a little bit, and he was back late in the season. He's got some skills. And Schaffer Jr., who went out on loan a lot, he's got a lot of speed and some talent there, to be sure. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of speed, and some interesting kind of combination of that for LAFC to take a look at. Now, according to the team, these are the players whose contracts were declined. The options were not picked up. They are as follows. Charlie Lyon and Quillen Roberts, goalkeepers. Nico Zornemage, Callum Malice, James Murphy, Stevie St. Duke, and Marco Arrania, who, of course, is the biggest name on that list. Arrania, the forward from Costa Rica. Now, in MLS rules and stuff, those guys, their options were not picked up. I believe they can still negotiate with those players. So... You never know. They might be able to get them back at maybe lesser salary if they want. But those players do have options elsewhere, too, with some of the waiver, you know, the, the, the drafts that are coming up. I can't even explain all those rules. I don't even know a lot of those rules. But there is the possibility that just because their contracts were declined, they may see them back. I would think that uh, most of those players at uh, LAFC probably just said, good luck, we wish you the best. There's, a, there's some skill there. There's some young talent. These are younger players, a lot of them. And then there's the guys like Malice and Arrhenio who are seasoned veterans, and maybe it's just time to move on. We'll see. Now, uh, three players were on loan, and those players were the agreements have ended, and that's Luis Lopez, and it didn't doesn't look like he might be back. It looks like the Honduran team wanted a little too much money there to make it a permanent move. Danilo Silva, who according to the team they're still talking to with his Brazilian team, and Danilo Silva, they're hoping he can come back there. They expect him to be back. And then Aaron Kovar, who's out of a deal after the loan agreement, his contract with Seattle, who he was on loan from, is over. So we'll see about Aaron Kovar. I really like Kovar. We'll see if maybe uh, LAFC can pick him up, possibly as a free agent. According to uh, the team, the players who are out of contract at the end of the month, December that is, at the end of the year, essentially, Jordan Harvey, he's eligible for free agency. Team is uh, talking to him. They hope he'll be returning. They expect him to come back. Dejan Jakovic, Walker Zimmerman, he's going to be a free agent. LAFC has made an offer to him, so they retain his rights. They made up a bona fide offer, and they're hoping to, that he will return in 2019. They're still negotiating there. And Benny Failhaber is a free agent now. And, of course, he's got he's a seasoned veteran who's got all that time, so he's a free agent. And they're negotiating with him, hoping he returns for next season. So those are the key dates, or the key, I guess, contract issues for LAFC going forward here, looking for 2019. And, of course, anybody not mentioned is still under contract. The current roster, Beta Shore, Blackman, Tyler Miller, Joao Moutinho, Eddie Segura, the new signing, Eduardo Tuesta, Horta, Mark Anthony K, Lee Wynn, Josh Perez, Latif Blessing, Schaff Brewer, Adama Diamande, Christian Ramirez, Diego Rossi, and the great 
Carlos Vela. So that is your black and gold breakdown as we look at it now. So that's how things shape up currently for LAFC. So it's a good look there. And the roster moves and everything else going on. We did see some other teams make some moves. I'll talk about a little bit more uh, coming up about the Galaxy and with some of their moves. But coming up next, we have an interview with Kalen Carr, MLS host, and uh, we're going to talk with him about the MLS playoffs. That's coming up next here on the home of world football in Southern California. This is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm, hanging out with you as we do each and every week as this show rolls on here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Don't forget you can follow the show at Talk Soccer. That's me on Twitter. And uh, on Instagram, Dave underscore Denholm. You can give me all the, you know, all the beef you got with me. That's fine. We can keep the conversation going throughout the week. And uh, don't forget to check out the podcast if you miss anything. You would not want to miss this gentleman who's joining me now. And thankfully, you're listening to him right here. He is Kalen Carr, MLS host over at MLSsoccer.com, former MLS player. Kalen, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on. Really excited to uh, be chatting with you. Best time of the year, you know. This is when it all counts. Isn't it? So true. Kalen is exactly right. MLS playoffs are in full force with the conference finals. We talked about leg one earlier, Kalen. And I just got to say, this is my opinion of it. I'll see what you think. I think Chris Armas got bit by the American soccer bug, which is being way too cautious. When you have leg two in your back pocket at home, you got to go out and play, especially against a team like Atlanta. Sometimes you got to actually open up the game and just make it a score fest. I thought he, they were way too cautious against Atlanta United, and it came back to bite them in leg one. What are your thoughts on that game with the way the Red Bulls played? Well, I, I think it may be more of a, a case of the uh, the Atlanta United bug, you know, which is sort of a daunting <laughs> task to go down to Atlanta United and and face off against that uh, you know vaunted attack with Joseph Martinez, you know, rec- record-setting season, scoring goals in Almiron. That group is all now healthy. New York City FC didn't quite have to face the same sort of proposition that the Red Bulls did. And then when you add into the mix that Kamar Lawrence was out with a late scratch with a knee injury, I think Chris Armas had some reason to go defensive. Now, the only thing I, I don't like from this is the message it sends to your team because, look, I, I know Chris. I, I played with Chris Armas in Chicago, the best leader uh, I've played with, to be honest, in my, in my MLS career. Uh, and he coached me. He was an assistant coach with um, the Chicago Fire right after he retired. And he really hasn't gotten anything wrong. But I, I think this was a mistake. And, you know, it obviously showed up in the scoreline. But the message it sends to your team, I think, is that it puts you in a reactive Space. And that's not the best yes. place for the Red Bulls. They've been so much better when they've been the aggressive team, home and away. And I think that set the wrong tone for the game and the series. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I thought the Red Bulls actually looked like a team who didn't believe they were the best team in MLS throughout the regular season, which they were. And they certainly usually take it to teams with that attitude. The Portland Sporting Kansas City game. Uh, Kalen, i got to be honest with you. I thought it played out about the way I expected. Now, nobody's going to expect nil-nil, of course, and there were some chances that team, you know, both teams had. Uh, it, certainly, though, it comes down to now, if you're P- Peter Vermees and you're, you're sporting Kansas City, you go back home, all you got to do is win, right? I mean, there's no, basically, you're set up okay here. I, I believe Portland Timbers are a very fine team. I think these are the four best teams, but there's no reason sporting Kansas City should not be winning at home in leg two. I, I agree with you. And, you know, I've played against uh, the sporting team over the years in the playoffs when I was with the Dynamo back and forth 
and I know how hard it is to go into a sporting park. I mean, that, that is really, I think, the toughest away environment. Uh, I haven't played at Atlanta United, but of the rest, I've played at most every other stadium in MLS, and Portland is difficult, and Seattle is, is loud. It's hard to hear your, 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 you know, I couldn't hear Brian Ching stand next to me if he wanted to give me any type of, uh, advice, but sporting is a different proposition. I think the cold weather makes it difficult. The, the, the fans are right on top of you, but, we managed to survive with our Houston Dynamo teams and be able to get through to our two MLS Cups. And, and the way to do it, I, I found, was on set pieces. That's how we were successful yeah. on the road there. It's, it's sort of a road formula. And when I look at this Portland Timbers team, that's a strength of theirs. We saw Diego Valeri stand over the ball uh, against Dallas in the early round and get, get fouled in right spots. Sebastian Blanco is able to draw those fouls, I think. Um, both say will be able to do that as well. So I, I think if Portland has a chance in this one, and I think they do have one, it will be through set pieces. You know, Kalen, the way I, I believe MLS is going over the last you know, few years with the TAM and the GAM and all that is you got to spend your money on offense. And there's so many great offensive players, so many great goal scorers and setup men. But there's a guy, Ilya Sanchez, to me, with Sporting Kansas City, it might be their best player by a country mile, frankly, on a very good team, too. Talk a little bit about what he does for that midfield with Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, he's able to give them uh, basically an anchor in that midfield to be able to give him the yeah. ball in tough spots. And this is a little bit of a different Portland team, I mean, excuse me, sporting team that I've played against in the past where. You know, they feel comfortable in possession with the ball in the middle of the field, able to pass it around a little bit, and it's mostly through Sanchez. Um, and then they find their wingers where Johnny Russell and Shalloway are able to run at guys. But, yeah, he really doesn't get talked about enough. But for the players that uh, are playing in this series, I'm sure he's going to be a big focus of Portland. They were able to cause us some problems in the first game, didn't get a lot of touches. So Vermees is going to have to try and find some spaces, whether in the middle or allowing him to drift a little bit to the flanks to get on the ball more in Mech 2. We are talking with Kalen Carr, former MLS player. He also uh, works at MLSsoccer.com. I love the shows that you guys do, Kalen. You're a host over there. Some great stuff that goes on. Check it out at MLSsoccer.com. Kalen, you mentioned the MLS Cup. Of course, he played in it with Houston Dynamo. I saw, with my own eyes, Kalen Carr score the first goal in an MLS Cup match. How did that feel when you scored that goal, Kalen? What, what was going through your head at that point? Oh man. Uh well, I mean it was uh it was one of my best memories of of my career of course. I remember uh, playing in LA. The the sort of context to this was we had gone to LA, played against the Galaxy the year prior in MLS Cup and we lost 1-0. Landon Donovan of course got the game winner in 2011. So this was sort of a chance for us to rewrite the script uh, and a little bit of history. It was Beckham's last game, so all the conversation was really about him just lifting the trophy and having that moment. And uh, yeah. for our Dynamo team, that was kind of the position where we excelled, was to go against the narrative and try and disrupt that, which, you know, at first it seems like my goal may potentially do that because we went into halftime at 1-0. And, you know, when I look yep. at those teams left on uh, on the Western Conference in particular, assuming that Atlanta United gets it and they're going to host in front of 70,000 MLS Cup and you know all the narratives will be around Joseph and Ron and Tata Martino. I think there's some similarities with this, especially with this sporting team, but even Portland, where you know they will have to go in with that attitude of underdogs and try to disrupt the narrative of this crowning achievement of this crown jewel, which which it is at Atlanta. You know, 
but, but there's still a lot to play for, and, and I think that's the mentality that you'll see from whichever team makes it out of the West. Well, it is interesting you mentioned Atlanta in that light, Kaylin, because that was my next question. You're absolutely right. Anybody can still win this, no question about it. That's MLS, and it's a one-off game that will, as you say, likely be played in Atlanta. But I am dead wrong about what Atlanta United was. I thought they were going to fail, frankly. I did. And i, I got to be honest and say that. I say it on the show. I've said it on the show in the past. I thought it was not a good idea to move there for MLS. It has been a complete success, Kaylin. Now, you're a guy who's very socially aware. You know what's going on in the world and everything else. What was your take on what Atlanta's done? How, what do you, how do you see this franchise moving forward, the way they've just captivated that city? Well, yeah, it's been incredible to see it. And in some ways, you know, them hosting MLS Cup would be uh, Absolutely, such yeah. a big moment for the league in some ways because it represents a new, a new face of it. When you look at, like, uh, LAFC, when you go to that stadium and you see the energy around that team and how it matters also in the sort of cultural landscape and sporting landscape of Los Angeles, that has kind of been modeled in a lot of ways of what Atlanta United was able to do. And, uh, my girlfriend lives, uh, just moved abroad for graduate school in London and I went over to visit and I was like, oh, we should go to a match. I was like, oh, maybe we'll go to the Emirates. She lives around there. I'm an Arsenal fan. She's from Atlanta, and we've been to Atlanta United games. Her only experience with MLS and soccer in the United States has been at Atlanta United games in front of 70,000 people. Yeah. I was like, she might be <laughs> underwhelmed. <laughs> like, if I take her to an, a Premier League match, she may be underwhelmed because she has no context as to what is normal and what isn't. And for those of us who have grown up here uh, sort of loving the game and seeing it grow, there's a sort of a disassociative factor watching Atlanta because you see, you know where it's come from. And so to see it, where it is now, uh, I still have to do a double take. All right, in the final few seconds, Kalen, you know, one of the things that's interesting about you guys as professional athletes is you don't retire at 70 years old, right? So you have to go, you move on, you go do other things. You're a guy who certainly had his eyes on other things. How is retirement from being a professional athlete treating you? Uh, it's a lot harder. <laughs> the yeah. hours are a lot longer. Uh, you know, I, I tell you what, like, <laughs> I would only see journalists come out to training in Houston and Chicago, and you'd see them out at yeah. the training pitch, but then I would go home, and I didn't quite understand that they were often going back to file their stories or to go uh, work in the newsroom or whatever it might be, and just how difficult that, that process is. So i tell you what, I've gained a lot more respect for that, and have been really working on my craft as well to, to be considered uh, amongst you know um, people like yourself who've really been a, a big part of building this game. Uh, in in the media so uh, i i'd say it's a lot more difficult than i ever anticipated but I, i'm so thankful to be a part of it and uh, and to be a part of it uh, to be a part of this growth of the game and and to see mls well, you know the further and further we go the, the less recognizable the mls is but that's that's a positive as well absolutely and i don't say this lightly i don't just uh, sugarcoat things you guys are doing a great job there i love watching the stuff at mlssoccer.com and caitlin continued success to you man you're doing a great job it seems like you belong doing what you're doing now. Uh, certainly was a great athlete and played in MLS, but now he's doing a great job in front of the camera as well. Kalen Carr, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. Really appreciate it. Awesome to be on. Hope to see you soon. Thanks again. You bet. Kalen Carr, at Kalen Carr on Twitter. Follow him there and also at MLSsoccer.com. Still to come, Galaxy make roster moves, much like LAFC did, and some other moves. Plus, we've got stoppage time. That and so much more next here on the home of world football in Southern California. It's ESPN LA 710.
Earlier in the show, you heard me talk about the black and gold and LAFC's moves with contracts and options and all that. Well, LA Galaxy made several moves as well. Galaxy, of course, restructuring a roster that they, uh, that really needs it, frankly, as they miss the playoffs this year in MLS, which is hard to do, especially for a team that spends the kind of money LAFC or LA Galaxy does, I beg your pardon. So the Galaxy made some moves. And according to the team, they've uh, exercised the contract options on four players. They're going to keep Sebastian Legette, Daniel Steris, spread for Jameson the fourth, and the backup goalie, Justin Vomsteeg, who we didn't see a whole lot of this season, but he's got a lot of skill. Those four make sense, right? That Those are moves that the, the Galaxy, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I could see all four of those. Here are the, team, the players that the Galaxy declined the options for for 2019. Michael Ciani, Brian Silvestra, the third keeper, Ari Lassiter, who seems like he's been around for about 12 years, Shannon Williams, Ashley Cole, Rolf Felcher, Baggio Husinic, and Servando Carrasco. Again, none of these are like head-scratchingly bad, like, wow, how could they do that? Now, you might have a question about one or two where you're like, well, I think they could have brought him back. or But none of these guys, you're, you're like shocked by any means. Some of it's financial. Some of it's age, some of it's just underperformance. And these are the players that LA Galaxy have are out of contract, and they're looking to negotiate with, it appears. Chris Pontius, Dave Romney, Emmanuel Boateng. I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them are back. I was listening to, you know my uh, buddy Josh, Josh Gessman over at the Corner of the Galaxy, a podcast about LA Galaxy. I was listening to that, and he was talking about how it looked like I believe, I'm not trying to quote him, but he, he he thinks maybe all three of those guys might be back, and I agree. So that puts, you know, remember, there's a lot of guys who are still under contract. One of them is Laton. Don't be deceived by any story that you hear that he's out of a deal. or He's, he's under a contract. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to play under the same terms as he did last year, and who knows what will happen. Maybe LA Galaxy will renegotiate. Who knows? But there's still, you know, all the rumors that swirl with Zlatan, as you might expect. Ola Kamar going to be around, Gio Dos Santos, the youngster, Efrain Alvarez, who I hope gets some playing time because I love seeing young kids playing in MLS, and I mean young potential superstars. There's a lot of them around the league that are coming up through these academies now, and one of them is Efrain Alvarez, certainly with LA Galaxy. So we'll wait and see on that. Again, no major shocks by what the Galaxy did or did not do with those moves at least according to what I saw and what I thought would be happening for there. Maybe, maybe you could argue that you might want to see a little more of Rolf Felcher, the defender, who kind of got hurt, started off very sluggishly, didn't look great. But then, I, I don't know, I saw some glimpses of him being a very solid MLS defender. And that was a, let's remember, that was the Achilles heel for the Galaxy. They gave up goals in buckets. So the only four defenders they have on the roster right now are Shelvick, who they had signed to a longer deal at, I believe, close to a million a year. Yikes. Thomas Hilliard-Arce, who they took sandwiched in between the LAFC picks in the draft last year. Hugo Arellano, and of course Steris, who we mentioned that they picked up the option for. So, okay. And again, they may bring back Dave Romney. That's entirely possible since he's out of a deal. And could be a free, you know, like, or they may still have the rights to him. I don't even know in terms of even that. So we'll see how LA Galaxy handle that. That's a team that still needs to refresh the defense. And by refresh, I mean rebuild from the bottom up. 
LA Galaxy, when healthy, have plenty of scoring options to dominate in the midfield and up front. No question. Right? We all know that. They scored goals for fun a lot of times. But they could not stop anyone last year. So that's going to be the key in rebuilding this team, is rebuilding that defense. Michael Ciani didn't work. Shelvick didn't work, but he's still around because his contract demands it. There's no way anybody in MLS is going to take that deal off their hands. And I don't know that he's really a hot commodity to transfer away, so it looks like he'll be around. So that's fascinating to me. We'll see what happens there. There's been some other moves around MLS with some teams, you know, making these moves. They all had till uh, I think it was early, yeah, early in the week. It might have even been yesterday where the deadline came and went for making these moves. So teams have been announcing them. For instance, Colorado picked up the uh, uh, you know, option on Kellen Acosta. No real surprise there. They declined the options on a few players like Jack McBean, that of course has history with the LA Galaxy, and some other players, including Caleb Calvert. So you can check out a lot of those at MLSsoccer.com. There's some interesting moves by teams, but again, nothing really shocking. The one big interesting move for me was actually Houston Dynamo, a team that won Open Cup, the U.S. Open Cup. Remember, they knocked out LAFC in that competition, but didn't make the playoffs. They actually picked up the option of A.J. De La Garza. And that, to me, was a big, kind of an interesting move for them. They did not pick up the options of Leonardo, former Galaxy defender, as well as like Connor Donovan. Well, actually, I like a lot. Adolfo Machado, a couple other guys. And some of their veterans are out of contract, including Demarcus Beasley, Andrew Wenger, Arturo Alvarez, Philippe Senderos. Doesn't mean all those guys will be gone. They may indeed sign back with Houston. But I thought keeping A.J. De La Garza was interesting. De La Garza only played four games this past year due to that injury he suffered in 17. So we'll see what happens. A lot of people say, well, the you know L.A. Galaxy defense has fallen apart since De La Garza left. I was a guy who was a proponent of that trade. I thought L.A. Galaxy needed to move on and really rebuild the defense. Now, they went and tried to do that. They agreed with me and traded A.J. De La Garza, among other moves. Omar Gonzalez, of course, going to Mexico. I didn't think De La Garza was that sharp in his final season with the Galaxy. And I was fine with making that move if you were, if you were L.A. trying to rebuild your defense. The problem is they just didn't rebuild it right. And now it looks even worse. that they got. But De La Garza has not, I mean, he had the, the awful injury. You know, it took him a long time to recover from that. Just came back at the end of the season. He looks like he's back. So that's good news. He's still only 31. I mean, just turned 31, so he's still a young guy in terms of playing. So I, a little surprising that the Dynamo kept him based on his contract. But, again, that was one of the bigger moves I saw in MLS. It kind of really uh, stood out to me a little bit. Now, one of the things that stands out each and every week here is maybe the greatest segment in the history of soccer radio. It is stoppage time. As we do each and every week, we wrap up the show with stoppage time. It's not to be missed. Now, our great producer, the fearless Mario Reyes, who also produces LAFC football here on ESPN LA 710, is out on vacation. Hope he's having a great time. I am taking over the chores of hosting this show this week, stoppage time. And the story I want to talk about, Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC, check it out, ESPNFC.com, writing up and following up on the story that's hot now around Europe and here in the U.S. is U.S. goalkeeper Zach Steffen. 
right? The youngster from Columbus Crew plays for the U.S. national team. He's just starting to break through, 23 years old. It looks like, according to Carlisle, multiple sources confirming to ESPN FC that uh, Stefan is on his way to Man City. Manchester City possibly paying a fee up uh, upwards of 7 to $10 million for the young keeper. Wow. That is a good story because Zach Steffen fully deserves it. He is a kid with tremendous upside and potential. Now, what you hope for is that he can work with Pep Guardiola at Man City and they don't, you know, transfer him out right away, or I should say loan him out to one of the kind of their feeder clubs around Europe. Now, again, wouldn't be the worst thing for him, but yet I still think the kid's got so much potential, both for the U.S. national team and as a club player, that I'd like to see him, you know, even if he's a backup for a while at Man City, give him a fair shot and learn from Pep Guardiola day in, day out. Learn from Man City staff. Don't just buy him and loan him out. To me, that just doesn't, you know, that doesn't do much for me as a soccer fan. Now, I understand for his career and all that. Okay, fine. Good luck to him. But I'd love to see the guy, you know, battle and really just stick with Man City and grow for the sake of the U.S. national team, bottom line. That's just the way it looks for me. So it's a fascinating story there with Zach Steffen moving on. We wish him the best in that sense. Do you find yourself following MLS players that go abroad? Like, like if he plays for Columbus Crew, I couldn't care less about him in the sense that I hope that he loses every, you know, right? I mean, it's uh, I'm not a Columbus Crew fan, but... He's a U.S. men's national team player. You get the connection going there. He is an MLS guy. If he transfers over there, you want to sue him, see him do very well. So nothing but the best, we hope, for Zach Steffen. That is stoppage time for this week. And that's going to do it. I am Dave Dethome. Don't forget, follow me on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. Thanks so much to the great Adam Bronstein for handling chores in the uh, studio with me here. This is Soccer Weekly on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710.